This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. For those of us who remain, we will be resuming our sermon series, The Lord's Day. And so if you have a Bible, please open it to Psalm 66. Psalm 66. I want to open with this charge. These are God's words spoken to his people. Now in this room, they are his words spoken to you. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. We're in the second week of this series called the Lord's Day. And we're spending just a handful of weeks focusing on our worship here on Sunday mornings. And we're just looking to the scriptures to understand what it is that's happening in this room on Sunday mornings and why we do it. This morning, we're focused on the two largest elements of every Sunday worship service, singing and preaching. If you were to take a stopwatch and time out one of our services and divide up all the different elements and how much time they take up, you would find out that those two pieces alone are how we spend about 70% of our time together on a Sunday morning. Just singing and then the preaching of God's word takes up the vast majority of our time as a church family when we gather on Sunday mornings. We place an immense importance on both of these elements each Sunday morning. The time spent singing together, the time spent, what we're doing now, preaching from God's word. And this morning, I want to ask two questions of both of those elements. Why and what? So why do we sing? And what happens when we sing? And similarly, why do we preach and what happens when we preach? We'll ask both why and what of our singing and our preaching. So if your Bible is open to Psalm 66, would you follow along as I read our passage this morning, starting in verse 1. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. God's people have long used music to worship their Lord. In Exodus, when Israel escaped Pharaoh's army by crossing through the Red Sea, the first thing they do when they make it to the other side after God delivers them is to sing his praise together. And if you were to go through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, you would see God's people singing all throughout. Later, when Israel has taken their land and they're trying to worship God and be his people, they fall into rebellion time and time again. And for a while, God raises up judges to deliver them. And at one point, he raises up a woman named Deborah, and a man named Barak helps her, and they deliver God's people from Jabin, the king of Canaan. And after they defeat Jabin, they worship God through song. When David was in the wilderness of Judah, trying to escape his enemies and save his own life, he turned to God in song. 
If you go over to the New Testament, you see this same pattern. When Mary learns that she's going to be the one to give birth to the long-awaited promised Messiah from God, she sings. When Jesus and his disciples celebrate a Passover meal together and then observe the first communion together, it would have been the night before he was executed, they end their time at that meal by singing a hymn together before they go to the garden to pray. When you see men like Paul and Barnabas, who are spreading the gospel message all around the Mediterranean, facing all sorts of opposition, at one point they are thrown into jail in Philippi. And sitting in that jail, they weren't busy complaining and grumbling about what had happened to them. Rather, they were praying and they were singing hymns to God. God's people worship him through music. We always have, we still do, and we always will. And so during our Sunday morning worship services, roughly one quarter to one third of our time will be spent singing together. Not just with one person performing a piece or one person singing, rather, we have everyone stand if they're able, because we're all participating in singing these songs to God together. And so the first question we should ask is, why do we sing? Why is it that God's people sing? And why is it that now when we come in here, we'll devote a full third of our time together in singing? And the answer is this, we sing in exaltation to God. We sing because we were made to worship God. Our worship services here on Sunday are not primarily about training us or forming us for something else the other days of the week. Some of that work takes place here, but our primary purpose for gathering on Sunday mornings is to worship God and to lift up his name above all else. And your primary purpose for existing is to glorify God and to enjoy him. So then, at our Sunday morning service, here at this time, when we have a focused time together, our primary purpose in life lines up with our primary activity in this room, and that is we worship God. We rejoice in him. We lift up his name high above all other names. Worship through music is an overflowing expression of joy in God. We sing because he is mighty and we sing because we are saved. And he has allowed us to turn to him and to offer him praise and worship and adoration. So that's the why behind our singing. Because we're a saved people. Because we have a mighty God and we can offer him our praise. But we could dig a little bit deeper then and ask what happens when we sing? It's simple to understand that we come in, we're made to worship, so we sing, we worship, that's what we do, that's why we're doing this. But what's really taking place during this time? And I want us to just focus on a few of the effects of congregational singing, and I'm focused primarily on this time together singing as a church family assembled. So you might sing throughout the week, you might sing in your home setting, you might sing on your way into work, turning on a radio station or flipping to a different channel that you like. You might be able to sing in that time and praise God. But what I'm interested in is what's happening when we're gathered together, shoulder to shoulder, usually in this room, singing together. So just a few effects of congregational singing. First, 
effect of congregational singing is that it encourages our hearts. The other voices that are in the room with us, the act of singing while someone next to us is singing the same thing has an effect of building us up. This is a a communal event for our family, something we do together. Paul tells the Ephesians to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Congregational singing is an activity that takes all the members of the church singing together on a Sunday morning. So usually when we prepare music for a Sunday morning, we often will meet one or two times beforehand to practice what we'll sing. Sometimes on a Saturday morning, followed by a practice early Sunday morning. And while we're singing all the same words and notes that will be sung in a worship service at 930, it's a completely different sound in our practices. And I I mean that, I really truly mean that, that every time we practice on worship teams, that before we get to a service at 9.30 a.m., no matter how good our set list seems to be, how tight we are together as a group, how in tune all the musicians are with one another, it never sounds complete until we hit 9.30 and you all come into this room and we sing those songs together. Because we're not just putting some songs together to have music. We're putting songs together so that we as a family can worship God together. And so the last instrument that comes in to join our worship set every week is your voices. And they're absolutely critical for us to sing as a church family. And so it's an activity for all of us. And if you notice, the way we try to design our services are set up for that. So the volume that we operate our sound system at takes into account the fact that we want the congregation to sing. We want to be able to hear one another, not just the sound that's coming from up front. So at times, you'll be able to hear the people next to you more than you'll hear the people that are up front on the stage. The arrangements that we use for our songs, we try to consider what's easy to sing for people. If something's too wordy, even if it has great words, but it's just difficult to get through without some dedicated practice, we might not use that song because we know that for the whole congregation to sing, we've, we've got to keep in mind what people are able to sing through. The songs that we sing together, the pace at which we learn new songs throughout the year, all of that we're taking into mind the congregation and what will encourage us all to join together in this activity of singing The order of service that we have is built around this. If you notice, we dismiss children right before our sermon because we want them to be able to participate in as much of this service as they can. And so they get to sing with us. They get to watch as their parents sing praises to God. And as people that they know, as friends, as friends of their parents are singing, they get to witness that and learn what it looks like for God's people to worship him. And so we try to keep people in this room so that we can all be a part of that together. So when we participate together in congregational singing, our hearts are encouraged by others by witnessing their joy in the Lord and being reminded that we're not alone in our faith. That as we're worshiping God and saying that he is worthy above all else, we're not the only ones that think that or believe that. We're reminded that everyone else in the room singing with us believes those same things and is clinging to Christ as their savior just as we are. So congregational singing encourages our hearts. The second effect is that it molds our hearts. Music guides emotions. Music helps and aids us as we walk through different emotional experiences. 
Music helps us in rejoicing, in thankfulness, in praising, in lamenting, in meditating on God and what he has done. Music aids us in all of those things. Melody paired with lyric speaks to the heart, soul, and mind of a person. The Psalms engage the full range of human emotion in their writing. But also, if you read through the Psalms, you'll notice how they help guide the heart in how it ought to respond to God and his mighty work. At times, the Psalms will urge the singer, the one who's singing the very words, it will urge them to rejoice in God. It will urge us to give thanks to him, to be satisfied in the Lord, to be nourished by him, to be at peace with God. And so songs and congregational singing has a way of helping to mold our hearts and understand how it is that we can respond to God and what he has done. And even at moments where we feel heavy and downcast, our singing will help remind us that we do still have reason for hope and reason to rejoice. And even as we we come in elated and enthusiastic, singing also helps remind us that we are sinners saved by grace, that we're still frail, finite beings clinging to our Savior. And as we sing those things, we not only hear the words we're singing, but the melody that goes with them helps inform our hearts and how they ought to feel and the emotions they ought to have. The third effect of congregational singing is that singing shapes our minds. Songs stick in our brain. Whenever we sing a lyric with a tune next to it, that often has a way of working down into our mind, and we can hum that and even string those words together long after we've sung them. And again, we, when we're planning our songs for a Sunday morning, we try to be very careful of what we sing, knowing that the songs we sing will sink into our memory. So if we say something that's untrue of God, that gets lodged in our heads, and we don't want that. We only want to say what's true of God and what's true of his work. Songs stick in our brain. When I was four or five, I was in a Sunday school class with my best friend. And my mom was the teacher of the Sunday school class. And one Sunday, she taught us the chorus to an old hymn from the late 1800s, Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It. It's a hymn that has a few different verses, but then it always calls back to the same refrain. It says, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it, his child and forever I am. And in Sunday school, my mom taught us that refrain, that chorus, so we could sing it together. We're four or five at the time. And the idea was that she would teach us different pieces, and then we could come back the next Sunday and sing it together. Unfortunately for my best friend, who was four or five at the time, he was only able to remember part of it. So he remembered the first line of that refrain, but he couldn't quite remember the second. And so he spent a whole week just singing Redeemed, 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 redeemed. Just repeating the first line over and over. Couldn't quite remember that second line and get to it until finally the next Sunday he came back and his dad asked my mom, can you please teach him the second line? (laughs) But even in that, he was able to remember one line of a song and if nothing else, he knew that he was redeemed. But how much better is it when we're able to remember 
whole chorus or verse or songs that come to mind. One of my favorite hymns to sing is Nothing But the Blood. It's a beautiful call and response. And one of my favorite verses to sing is often not used. It says, now by this I overcome, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now by this I'll reach my home, nothing but the blood of Jesus. When I first heard those words, they sank into my mind and my heart like I wouldn't believe. And they come back often reminding me that my only victory that, I'll, that is guaranteed in my life is the victory that Christ won on the cross. They remind me that I'm a pilgrim in this world, that even though I have a physical address that I sometimes call my home, that my real home is God's country. And the only way that I'm going to get there is by the blood of Jesus. Just four simple lines from a song have stuck with me through the years to remind me of that truth and to fan up in my soul a passion for Christ and his saving work. Songs help shape our mind. So then we sing together as a church that our hearts would be encouraged, that they would be molded, and that our minds would be shaped. So in light of all of this, our application is sing. We are all called to sing together in this room on Sunday mornings. If you're trusting in Jesus as your Savior, sing his praise. You don't need musical training. You don't need a good sense of rhythm or tempo. You don't even need to sing in the right key. You were made to worship. And in this room, on Sundays, we get to worship God together. And our worship is only complete when the congregation joins in and together we sing his praises and lift up his name. So bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. Second element of a Sunday service that takes up the bulk of our time is what we're doing right now the preaching of God's word. And it's a little strange to preach about preaching, but that's what I'll attempt to do. We can ask the same two questions of our preaching as we did our singing. First, why do we preach? And second, what happens when we preach? So first, why is it that we preach? Why do we have sermons on a Sunday morning here in our services? It's for the same reason that we sing, to give glory to God. It's a way by which we worship God. But we might ask, how is an event where one person speaks while everyone else sits and listens a way by which we're all worshiping? We might be able to understand how it's a way of worshiping for the preacher, but how is it worshipful to sit and listen to a sermon? And the answer is, is because during this time, we're all doing the same thing. Whether preaching or listening to preaching, we are all putting ourselves under the authority of Scripture. And in that, we worship God. Because the Bible is not a collection of writings from spiritual men and women that impart some helpful wisdom to us. The Bible is the living and active word of God where God has made himself known to mankind. And since it is from God, we then submit to what it says. And we live with its authority in our life. Paul tells Timothy that God's word has value for us in teaching, admonishing, correcting, and training us. This means that when we read the Bible, when we hear the Bible preached, whatever the Bible calls sin, we call sin. 
And if that's in our life, then we ask God to put it to death in us. In whatever areas we're striving to earn God's favor, we stop striving to earn God's favor and rest in the biblical assurance that he has shown us favor because of his love for us. Whenever we feel abandoned by God, we sit under scripture and acknowledge that our soul has not been abandoned by God. That to God's children, he draws close. And even if we feel that he is far off, we can know that our feelings aren't correct. They're not guiding us well because God's scripture tells us he is close to his people. God's scripture is a truth that surpasses even our own experience. As we seek to live God-honoring lives, we measure our lives against the godly character as revealed in the Bible. And so our lives and our manner of living don't line up with the character of godliness that God has revealed. We submit and ask the Spirit to do a work in changing us. And so the sermon on a Sunday morning is a time when all of us together are submitting to that authority of God's word. Of coming into this room and saying, I'm not going to trust in my own wisdom. I'm not going to trust in wisdom that I found somewhere else. I'm going to look to God and his word to understand who I am, who God has made me, and how I ought to live. So for the preacher, this means sermons aren't a chance to just talk about whatever they want. It's not an opportunity to rant about something that's bothering them or to get up on a soapbox and yell about the issue of the hour for them. It's an opportunity for the preacher to submit themselves to God's authority, set aside their own agenda, and deliver God's word clearly as found in his scriptures. And for the listener, sermons are not just a chance to receive a spiritual pep talk where we just come in and hope we feel better afterwards. They're not a chance to confirm and validate our own wisdom and our own decisions of what we're doing. Rather, sermons are an opportunity to hear God's gospel message proclaimed and to submit our whole lives to him as Lord. So the sermon is an occasion of preaching because it's an occasion to acknowledge God's authority in our lives and the gift of his word that he's given to us that we might know how we ought to live. So what then happens during the sermon when we preach? If preaching is done right, then the word of God is proclaimed and his glory and esteem grows in our hearts and minds. Preaching done well leads to a church eager to follow God and obey his word together as a family. And so for the preacher who gets up here on a Sunday morning, the task then becomes to present the word of God. That's my hope this morning. That's Pastor Adam's hope every time he's in this pulpit. And anyone else who ever stands on this spot in the stage and addresses the room, the aim and the goal is to present the word of God. There's not a need to be flashy or innovative. Good preacher is one who holds up God's word. And for the listener, during the preaching, during the sermon, the task then becomes to look for the word of God. And every sermon that you hear, test it against the Bible to see if it's in agreement with what God says. When you've been moved by what's in a sermon, let that drive you to read God's word more and to grow in your knowledge and obedience to his word. 
Pray that God would give you listening ears and a soft heart for things that are said. Pray that you would have the humility to submit your life to his authority when you find out that you're living apart from his will. Sermons are an action of submitting ourselves to God's authority because they're an occasion to display his words. That means that sermons are not judged by whether or not we like them. They're not judged by how eloquent they are. They're not judged by how many times they make you go, hmm, and nod your head. Those things might happen. Sermons aren't judged by how many pages of notes we're able to fill up in our notebook. Rather, sermons are judged by their faithfulness in presenting the word of God to God's people. Some will be more eloquent. Some will be less eloquent. Some will captivate our attention better than others. But for all sermons we hear, we ask, was the word of God preached so that I might submit my life to it? Look again at Psalm 66, this time verse 5. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Psalm 66.5 is the invitation that should be at the heart of every sermon. Come and see what God has done. Marvel at his deeds towards the children of man. After this invitation, the psalmist then begins to retell the history of Israel. Come and see what God has done. After Israel escaped Egypt, they were boxed in with Pharaoh's army behind them and the Red Sea in front of them. And what happened? God parted the waters and they walked across the sea onto dry land on the opposite side. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because of the rebellion towards God, Israel finally arrives at the promised land and the only obstacle between them and the promised land is the Jordan River. But how did they enter that land? God stopped the river and they crossed it on foot. How awesome are his deeds. Every time we enter this room and prepare to hear the preaching of God's word, may that be our expectation to come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. So you might have heard these stories and passages hundreds, if not thousands of times. You can probably picture Charlton Heston or an animated Val Kilmer lifting up their staff and parting the waters so Israel can walk through unharmed. But hear it again and marvel at how God delivered his people from Pharaoh and the armies of Egypt. You may have heard the story of David for years, how a shepherd from Bethlehem becomes a king and a man after God's own heart. But hear it again and see what God has done in his life. And the forgiveness that he offered David time and time again. It might feel so routine and ordinary every December to hear the Christmas story, to sing the familiar Christmas songs but hear it again and marvel that in the bleakest, darkest night, a Savior was given to us. Come and see what God has done. 
You might hear every Sunday when you come into this room how Jesus died on the cross for your sins. But Christian, hear that one more time. Come and see how God demonstrated his love toward you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for us. Marvel that he now extends grace and calls you his own. May every sermon we hear give us the invitation to come and see what God has done. That we might hear that story one more time and marvel once again at his mighty and awesome deeds towards the children of man. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praises be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word that we can hear, that we can sing. I ask that it would continue to shape us, to refine us, that we would submit our lives to it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.